Hey guys, this is Manders with Stax Gaming Squad. We are here on Saturday, February 24th of 2018 for our monthly Game of the Month talk. This month we are we played through and we're going to talk about Bastion by Supergiant Games. Uh, with me, I've got John. Hey, I talk and sometimes I write for this blog. I got Chris. Hey, here's hoping this podcast uh, stands the test of time, kind of like a bastion. And special guest, and certainly not the last person and the least person of this list, Adam. Hi, happy to be here. Cool. So, uh, I guess uh, let's start with um, let's start with the visuals, man. That's kind of the first thing you see in the game. Um, what y'all got to say about that? I thought they were pretty fantastic. Um, the hand-painted feel really made it feel unique. And when I first saw it, like the trailer and looked into it, it was just like, yes, this looks like something I'm going to play. It's bright. It's vibrant. Um, it definitely looked interesting and it drew me into the game. Yeah. Uh, one of the, uh, one of the first things pieces of media they they released for this game was was just a screenshot and it was very like chris said everything was very vibrant um and it went back to that 2d art style where everything was hand painted so that was kind of unique back when it was uh being promoted it's been a couple of years now the images first started coming up in in 2010 you know definitely it has a uh has a unique art style um Kind of has a uh, 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 typical top-down, like isometric kind of look to it, um, which is typical in uh, in games that have released uh, certainly in the past. Uh, in um, you know older older uh, PC games in the '90s, that uh, and it was interesting that they kind of decided to take that route with it, and uh, and, and definitely, uh, like Chris was saying, the, the initial images you get. Uh, they definitely took a lot of care in uh, really making some nice set pieces. Um, kind of talking about the art style too, I do like the uh, aspect that the world kind of kind of builds around you as you explore. And I thought that was uh, uh, this kind of being Super Giants' first stab at it um, for their. Uh, development company, the way they uh, uh, kind of built a system where the uh, where the world is like slowly, gradually uh, piecing itself together kind of as you walk around and explore kind of encourages you to um, to really kind of uh, kind of walk around the outskirts of the uh, the entire map, you know, yeah, drew me away from the uh, uh, from where I was supposed to be going. I feel like that aspect, like when the world would like appear in random places, maybe like both want to venture out, but also be cautious at the same time. Cause I was like always afraid of falling off the game, even though the penalty is kind of light. It was like, I continually would just like roll, roll off the edge and, and die. Well, I mean, you don't really die, but uh, it, it was kind of like a, it was always this weird trade off in my brain of like, how careful should I be at any given moment? 
Um, because there's like, I feel like there were, there were a few dead ends, quite a few dead ends where you would like, it seemed like this path was about to go it somewhere, but unless you like realize that it wasn't spawning more bridges, you were just like about to roll off. I, uh, I fell a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, especially in the later levels, um, when you're doing a lot of dodging and a little bit more like a uh, technical, uh, movement, uh, with the combat, uh, it was frustrating. I kind of, I found myself just falling off the edge a lot. And um, and it and it took away from my uh, uh, my rhythm of, uh, of kind of battling some of these enemies and some of these uh, arenas that they kind of put you in, especially towards later in the game. Yeah, definitely, that was frustrating. Yeah, they um, they do a real unique take on kind of the fog of war thing that you have in a lot of like top down action RPGs. Um, but going back. To what you were saying earlier about the art style, what made it pop? Um, you know, Diablo 2 was so big, and there's so many D2 clones. And Torchlight came out a year before this game, so when you got another is isometric RPG popping up on the scene, you're like, oh, whatever. But the art style was so like unique. Um, and when you first play the game, like you said, instead of the map being revealed as you walk forward. The map as actually created as as you go uh as you go forward it's it kind of turns it on its head but in the first level it kind of works together with the way they tell the story well while you're rolling through and you're beating up enemies the narrator is telling you the story and as the words are coming out of his mouth the tiles on the map are coming up from the ground so i thought together that was synergistically uh presenting a story to it it was really unique uh, i think manners has something to say uh yeah so um one thing about the art is that i thought was really special was that it it did a good job of cr showing a world that had been like devastated by some sort of war um which is you know one of the themes in the game and like it really to me it really showed this like barren and overrun world that you know had was you know the world was like filled with rubble it was overgrown with trees and all kinds of stuff like that so i thought that really enhanced like the story of the game when you know they talk a lot of the um when when they you know a lot of the, you know, themes of, like, war and, you know, what is it good for and stuff like that. Like, I, I felt like the art followed that, you know? Yeah, if they played the song War, what is it good for? I would have... that Somebody should mod that. I would play that. <laughs> yeah. After that, you play uh, you play Fortunate Son and all these, all these other crazy... Yeah. Strings. <laughs> oh, no. That would have been... That that yeah. that uh, you know that kind of brings us into the next topic though is like the music because like the music is also kind of part of that style uh you know I think one of the the biggest moments in the game was when you you find yeah. Zia and you know she's just singing this song and it's just like about building a wall and it's just like this really it's really stoic that, moment that song structure is just really kind of similar to those old um gospel songs you know mm -hmm. that um 
that you really get get the feel for when she just starts singing in that really regular cadence. It's almost kind of like a work song. That was, I mean, it's probably it's the it's the premiere song of the of the game. Really good job of it. Yeah. One of the things um, that came with the game when it was released was this collector's edition that came with a soundtrack, and I and I bought that, and that was a great that was a great thing to include. Yeah, and the soundtrack is on Spotify too. Oh, is it? That's awesome. Yeah, uh, Chris, what do you think about the the music? What you got to say about it? Yeah, I was gonna say I got the uh, the soundtrack as well. Like before I even really started playing the game, I was looking at the soundtrack. I was like, "Wow, this is fantastic!" And I've, I have definitely listened to songs outside of the game more than I've heard them inside the game. <laughs> Not so much. I like the soundtrack. Yeah. Um, and like, sorry, one more thing. Like carrying over into Transistor, their next game, like. Uh, I knew that I was gonna like the music, uh, just because like the quality and the care that they put into to that uh, music. Yeah, this this guy Darren Korb wrote all of the music, uh, recorded it in his closet, and labeled it Frontier Trip Hop, acoustic Frontier Trip Hop. That was pretty fitting. I mean, when you listen to it, this is not really kind of a genre that's really that's really kind of anything that you've heard before, but he made something really original. Yeah, I think some of the, uh, uh, definitely the standout of that soundtrack is that, uh, that, that Zia him, you know, when you first meet her and you start to hear her, uh, uh, her kind of humming, uh, almost gospel in the, uh, in the distance as you approach her, it gets louder and louder. It was a good moment in the, yeah. in the game. That, the name of that song by the way, is build that wall. Very fitting. Yeah. Very fitting. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the uh, soundtrack right now, and yeah, yeah, that's excellent. That's there's so much there's so much packed into this game. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Still relevant. Uh, build that wall in 2018. Um, but no, and, and and another another moment that was really. Uh, that, that that was really great um, was kind of when you kind of get midway through the game and you start to get to the uh, uh, kind of after you fully build the bastion and uh, you kind of go you go through the kids um, uh, kind of trippy memory sequence through that was the, crazy uh, through the um, uh, kind of the wildlands when you start to venture out past the city uh, outskirts and you hear uh, Rux starts to hymn the same uh, the same cadence song. Uh, that was a really great moment. Uh, it, it was a, it, it just a, kind of his interpretation of that same almost hymn. Um, it's almost like like the kind of kind of the song of the entire like Bastion itself. You know, kind of as you get towards the end of the game, you start to hear that hymn more and more, and it's almost kind of like the uh, the hymn of the planet. Yeah. yeah, for sure. One of the uh, one of the ways they they try they try to change it up on you throughout throughout the game is you can only play so many isometric action RPGs. Is they slowly release these weapons to you play style, 
And sure, that's been done before, but I really liked how right off the bat, they give you all these tonics that give you modifiers. They give you all these idols that you can activate to make enemies tougher. And they really kind of give you everything all at once, kind of like a backwards Zelda style, where in Zelda, you kind of have to do each dungeon, then get the new item, then to progress in the game. But they just kind of dump it all on you all at once. And just kind of like let you make your own play style. So what was what what were some of the some of the builds and some of the play styles you guys picked up? Well, so once I once I got the uh the scrap musket, uh I just did hammer scrap musket the rest of the game. Like I I I tried machete a bit. Like I I tried them all. Um but like once I once I got the super musket fire like where I could just like blast enemies like 50 times like i was done i i was actually really i got really annoyed when like i got terrible weapons like the um the the lobber like that weapon was such hot garbage for me like the mortar yeah the mortar that's what i meant like i i I hated that thing and then i had to like get to a friggin arsenal to change because like i was with i was with just my hammer and i was like fuck this I actually like the the mortar because uh, like I've been using the army carbine, which was like a super great upgrade. But I hated that how it was like it was so specific in what you needed to hit, and it was just like that one thing. And and there was always like you couldn't move while you were aiming it. Whereas the mortar, you can just like start to aim it or get it halfway there, and then it will fly and has that that sort of delay to it. Mm. So like like. There was this particular jumping enemy that would jump towards you, and if you started lobbing the mortar where you thought he was going to jump, then you could move out of the way so he didn't hit you. And then when he landed, the mortar would hit him. And so I found it like that particularly useful. Mm. Mm-hmm. What'd you do, yeah. Adam? Yeah, I, I found myself using the uh, the war machete and the uh, and that scrap rifle uh, for that kind of shotgun spread. Oh, I love I, that thing. That well, thing is so good. good fully upgraded them i never went back to anything else and i found it like found it frustrating when you get into levels and it's like oh great now i need to switch to this flamethrower oh god this, uh, this rocket launcher and like i just <laughs> felt myself just wanting to go back to the weapons that, that i uh that i enjoyed you know it's it, it was yeah and, and you know some of the other weapons they were good for uh, uh for some very specific situations um you know, for specific sets of enemies, like you get that flamethrower and you start tearing up the uh, all the reeds and 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 the plants and things. Uh, uh, I felt like they, uh, most of the weapons did a very specific job very well, um, but kind of the loadout that I had, had uh, was probably was what I felt like the best overall, like just all around build set uh, to to just blaze through most of the game. Yeah. I I went with the machete for the close-up swarming. That happens a lot when they just release a whole bunch of hordes on you. And I went with a bow for uh, for the big damage when you need to drop it real quick. But no matter what you picked, kind of like what Chris was saying, the control, the control is very tight. And there leaves, if you play 
with a lot of precision, you're, you're, you're rewarded greatly. You can pretty much make it through this game at what loadout you pick. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I just found my loadout after level three. Me too. I thought, that, I thought the game encouraged you really well with the Proving Grounds. So it's just like, if you didn't really feel like you were getting the hang of a particular weapon, like it gave you a specific goal and rewards for like achieving that goal. And it made that weapon better. Uh, and then the ones that you liked, you could just like steamroll through the Proving Grounds on that one and then make your weapon even better. Yeah. yeah. What did you, uh, when it was time to have the big dilemma moment with Zulf, what did you guys, what did you guys do? What did you guys pick? I brought that mofo with me. Did you? Mm-hmm. What'd you do, Chris? I didn't get that far, but I know what decision I, I would make. I would, I would also take him with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I am as <laughs> You I didn't? didn't? No, I didn't take him with me. I I get that. I get that actually. Why? I it was it was just Why? I don't know. Screw him. Well, <laughs> no, I I get I get that reason. Like it was not an easy choice for me. Like I did it because like he's like one of three people who are still alive in this country, you know, like everybody else is fucking dead. So like, you know, sure. The kid and Z are going to make lots of babies, but you know, uh, we need meat shields too. Don't forget about. Oh Rusk. Yeah. Yeah. Rusk. But you know, Rusk would be the first meat shield really. So if we don't keep, um, if you don't keep that boy alive, Zulf alive. So like, you know, Get the more meat shields, the better, you know. Then he owes me too. Like he's gonna take a bullet for me in Bastion too. Oh my god! Well, he they they uh I mean they they were at the the only three people left on uh, uh after the after the calamity right because once you get to the end of the game, all of those uh enemies that were fighting you that were kind of like phasing in and out with the with the pikes and the swords and, and all mm -hmm. those were all uh, those were all aura people from uh, uh from Zulf's like homeland that was at like that constant war with the Caledonians right yep so he was he kind of just went back to his people and kind of built up an army to to kind of finish this old war that was before the calamity and um and, and yeah, I mean, he, he kind of went at it for his own selfish reasons. After you saved him, after you bring him to the Bastion, and then he's uh, you give him an honest chance to help rebuild and make peace with, uh, with uh, a group of people who they've been at war with for a long time. And he said, screw that. I'm leaving. I'm going to build up my army and, and kick you while you're still down. You, you know, you sold I, it, man. You know, if you gave me that speech, I was like, yeah. Yeah, it's true. Uh, honestly, you know what? You know what he really needs? He needs a trial. <laughs> he needs a trial, okay? We're American, okay? Everybody gets a trial in our country. So, like, like a lot of American governments, we're going to – I'm going to impose my will on this game. I'm going to make that choice. I'm going to take that choice to take him with them. He's going to get a trial. He will be executed. It'll be great. I mean, if we ever rebuild. 
Sandia, America. Speaking of trials, what did you decide at the end? The last decision you make. You only make two decisions in this game, I just realized. Yep. What did you decide to do at the end? Uh, I think the decision... Let's review the decisions real quick. It was either you can uh, you can stay with uh, Zia and Rux, or you can rebuild the entire planet. Yeah, but you go back yeah. in time and you forget everything. Yeah, yeah. You re- you reset the timeline, at uh, hoping the calamity doesn't happen again. So I can live in a hell. Or you <laughs> Or I can pretend like this never happened and restore the planet. Right. Which, which mm-hmm. honestly doesn't guarantee, it does not guarantee that the Calamity won't happen again. So you can, you can either loop it and pray that you have a bug in your loop, or, or you can, you just move forward. I move forward. Yeah. Like, like there's, you, you want to go back, but like, I don't trust people. You know, <laughs> you, would, you would kill the America. I would. I. I mean, yeah, I would. I would. I would. I would make a new America. Okay. The, the Confederacy. Okay, was basically old America. All right, they were. They were trying to do a bastion. Okay, and look what happened to them. They got their ass beat. It basically happened twice. Okay, you gotta <laughs> go forward. You just gotta go forward. At least that's how I thought. Uh, I want to. What's the state of the world though after the calamity? Like, is that a place that I want to live in, and is that a place that I want to I want to raise uh, uh, children in? But it's not like you really are choosing between no calamity and calamity post calamity. You're choosing between the possibility of no calamity and like moving on post calamity where actually people survive. Yeah, because like. You start new game plus. What are you effectively doing? Starting the, you, you choose the calamity again. <laughs> That's a great point. Yeah. So you're saying new game plus, like it's canon that if you start new game plus, then you chose the option that uh, we decided to save, uh, uh, restore the planet, and the calamity just happens all over again. Yeah. I mean, if you can't remember anything, and this is kind of the way things tend to go, like. Yeah, you're right. It is a it is a moral lesson on the cyclical evils of humanity. Yeah, I mean, um, honestly, is that not what he said? Is that not what Chris said? <laughs> I mean, honestly, if you just never play the game again, then you chose the you chose the latter. So Dark Souls has a a similar question at the same at the end of it, right? Like, do you sort of end the world, or do you like? Uh, restart the fire and hope that things will get better. And the answer is it doesn't matter because Dark Souls 2 and Dark Souls 3 happen as well. <laughs> <laughs> but so actually, better. but actually, no, no, the, the, the same question happens in all three games. So really, we should just skip to Dark Souls 3 and ask that question, right? Which is, do you start over or not? And yeah, then there you go. Yeah. There's also a lot of rolling and dodging in both in all four games. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. Although, 
uh, Bastion was never nearly as frustrating as Dark Souls. Never yeah. nearly as frustrating. Not even close. How do you? Uh, so how do you feel about the difficulty of Bastion? Felt like it was tuned really well, or uh, was it too easy, too difficult? I thought it was. I thought it was fine. I maybe the the bosses could have been harder, but like. I wasn't really there for for getting a challenge, I guess. Like I was really really there just to experience the story and, you know, I I got that and it it was exhilarating while going through it. I felt like a I felt like a badass cuz I could, you know, dodge stuff and shoot things and, you know, kick ass and stuff like that and like I I never felt like I it was too easy. Um but yeah, I, I was, I was never like, oh man, I, I, I also thought, man, this would have been a much more epic battle if this guy like changed his pattern up at some point, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like the, uh, the being able to tune and activate those uh, idols. Yeah, exactly. The uh, the idols in order to kind of tune the uh, the difficulty kind of ha- however you wanted it. If you wanted uh... to hit harder or. Uh, be more resilient to your attacks and all you can you can kind of do that it gives you a bonus for that 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 has to be one of my favorite parts of the game because like whenever you felt like it was getting too easy or too hard you just add or remove one of those things and yeah, you get you get rewarded appropriately yeah you're rewarded for that i think that's a i think that was great and it was a it was i think that uh is able you know you're able to customize the game how you want you know so uh, they and actually i think they offer like a uh, i think they call it no sweat mode so you can kind of blaze through the game, um, kind of at your leisure if you just wanted to experience the story. Um, I did it where I turned on all the idols and I and I died promptly. Yeah, it was. I, I mean, I, I was pretty confident in my in my gameplay, and I'm like, let's crank up all the idols and see, and let's just see what what type of foolishness I can get into. And it was it was pretty brutal, you know. I wow. did the same thing. I got through three fourths of the game. And I was like, man. Let me turn on some of these. I clicked two of them and promptly burned through all my health potions. <laughs> I I didn't turn on any idols the entire game because I remember I re- I remember fondly of just being like fuck this game when I turned on I like two idols like the last time I played tried playing this game like five years ago and I was like you know what nope. I'm done playing this game fuck this and so I just ignored idols this time and you know what it. It really worked out for me. Yeah. Last thing, uh, last thing, we'll wrap it up. Um, for me, uh, Bastion was kind of the second milestone in the whole indie landscape for me that kind of really broke open this area of, con- of gaming, con- uh, gaming market and gaming consumerism. Really just play really quality things away from AAA publishers and big studios. First one was obviously Braid. I think that's a pretty common idea that really just started to venture off from the mainstream studios. And after Braid, there was this kind of a lull period where none of the indie games really stood out to me until I played Bastion. And surely after that, indie game just becomes this whole new market. A whole a whole new playing field for a lot of people. Whole new so world. I wanted to ask you guys a whole new world even with with diamond skies and 
bright, brightly colored uh, carpets. Uh, what? <laughs> what were your? What were? What are your two big indie games that brought you, that pulled you over out of the AAA games for you? That's a that's a big question. I mean, yeah, there's two of them. I I would say that I'm not a huge indie gamer, like. So I would say none have really. Um, I can't think of any off the top of my head. I played this game like ten years after it came out. So like, um, I don't know. Let's see. Mm. I okay. Managers is hell corporate. What about you, Chris? Uh, I'm gonna say FTL is like my number one puller for me. That like I wasn't expecting that game to hit me like so hard in terms of like things that I didn't know I wanted. Like I knew I, I loved like space games and sci-fi games and like all of the major AAA space and sci-fi games just kind of fell flat most of the time. They either get like really really complicated and trying to like simulate this huge space battle, or they're like trying to do a first-person I can fly a plane type thing. And none of them really hit on like what I thought was important was like managing your your crew. But like I think they really hit the nail on the head by just like being really focused, really simple, and just doing what's what's fun. And that like I put like more than sixty hours in that game, and like I feel like I don't I didn't waste a second. Um, and Super Meat Boy, because uh, like I really like games with challenge to the point where like I will. If there's some sort of challenge in the game, I will ramp it up. Even if I don't eventually beat the game, I'd rather have the challenge than like than just like beat it and, and feel like I didn't accomplish anything. Um, but like I really like the way that Super Meat Boy um, layered the difficulty up like that, and uh, and it was really early on. And and Super Meat Boy also went on to be a huge success. Um, but I feel like all all three of the, the the creators that created these games went on to make other games that are now being successful. FTL hasn't released their next game yet. Um, the creators of FTL. Um, Team Meat has uh, Binding of Isaac. So I, I like that Like once you make that first indie game, it's like you can go on to, to continue to do really great things. I forgot about like um, the... I, I forgot about um, uh, what's it called? Um, the last one you said, Chris. Super Meat Boy? No, 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 no. The the uh, Binding of Isaac. Binding of Isaac. Yeah, I, I I spent like a lot of time on that game, but I guess uh I guess for me uh like coming back to that question, um yeah, I'm gonna stick with it. I'm pretty corporate. Um, yeah. <laughs> I I mean I really liked um I really liked um what the oh. Uh, shoot what is it called the the oh man the the game where the the little girl was like um she could reverse time if she wanted to uh it came out it was published by square enix and i literally can't remember it oh my god um life is strange i but, like that game as but I really liked it, um, and then my computer died on me, and I never finished it. 
And so now I should probably play it again because I remember really, really liking that game, the characters, everything. So, mm. what about you, Adam? I think for me, uh, 100% Super Meat Boy was just uh, when it came out. I just thought it was excellent. Um, man, yeah, I put a lot of time into that game and um, loved every second of it. Uh, yeah, but before that, you, you had mentioned Braid, uh, and, and I agree. Braid came out uh, pretty early on and kind of showed the uh, potential of what can occur as far as creativity, art style, and gameplay from indie developers and really uh, uh, kind of demonstrating to uh, uh, that, that, that games like that can break out in like in, in a big mainstream way. Um, and, and, and then that's, you know, that, that I think Braid games like Super Meat Boy, Bastion, uh, really kind of set the foundation for a really strong indie market today. Uh, and uh, I, I would, I would encourage, uh, managers said, you know, you don't play indie games a lot, but I would definitely encourage you to kind of look at some of what the indie games have, uh, out there. Cause it's, that's really the melting pot of creativity. I, I don't think it's going to come from AAA developers. I think they're well, going to play it a lot more safe and kind of go toward what's uh, what, what the, the the proven formulas that's going to make them uh, the, their money back on their investment. Yeah, where, whereas these indie guys are really going to stretch the boundaries of what they're able to uh, what they're able to achieve. And um, uh, hey, don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm not saying I don't like. I've played all those games that everyone has basically mentioned. Um, but I would say that I'm not really into super hard games. Mm-hmm. I'm not into roguelikes very much. Um, I'm not like a lot of the, like, like the, like into the spire, I think is a, a game that's, um, coming out soon. That's like, or, or is like in early access. That's really popular right now. And it's a roguelike where you have, where you do pitch battles I'm not particularly interested in that game. Doesn't seem very cool. Um, you know, it, I, I, I want, I want something more. I want more, something more structured. Um, I don't, I don't like keep on doing the same thing over and over again. Um, so, uh, but yeah, the, there, there's some, there's some stuff like I play, I play a lot of simulation, like Stardew Valley is fantastic. So, um, that's a great one. That's another one. I mean, that's another one. The farming simulators that, that none of the really big studios have been able to hit head on. One guy makes it, and it, everybody just goes crazy over it. Yeah, it was. It was. I I really like that game. Um, and and it has a structure to it. I when I die, I don't have to start over again from the very beginning, um, which is nice. I I like that. Um. Back to your uh, your question on early indie games that really kind of turned me on. Uh, uh, Beat Hazard. Uh, oh my goodness, Beat Hazard is so good. <gasps> oh, I played that game so much. It still holds up today. Um, if you if you don't own it, I it, I think it's like five dollars on Steam. But uh, basically, you're a spaceship, and um, it's it, it's it's very similar to. Um, 
like Geometry Wars, where it'll throw a bunch of enemies at you on an arena, and you're just a spaceship kind of moving around a 2D plane that's firing in all directions with the with the twin sticks on your controller. Uh, but the twist on this game is that it'll it'll bump music. Uh, you can you can choose music tracks, uh, either uh, music that they have kind of built into the game, or you can just uh, upload uh, play your own MP3s that are stored on your hard drive, or you can tune into like Shoutcast radio stations with like URLs, uh, or you can go into like podcasts too, I believe. And uh, depending on the uh, the um, uh, uh, beats per minute of the of the the song or the music track that's playing it'll throw enemies at you uh, based on the excitement and the intensity of the music. And the intensity of the music will also kind of supercharge your weapons to, to make them more powerful. Game's fantastic. I, I, did play a lot of that. I, I played that a ton. I remember playing on my own soundtracks and my own music. And that was great. I wish, I, I, I wonder if it works with uh, Spotify. Uh, they would think so. That would be the dream. That would be the dream for me, because then they could just go to my friggin' Spotify, and I'd have my 2,000 song playlist, and it'd be perfect. I'd never... Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. I know it works with Shoutcast. And, 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 uh, the, the, iTunes and M4A file support. Yeah. No. Hmm. Hmm. Rip. <laughs> I actually see that they're making a beat hazard, too, which is... Ooh. Which is just amazing. A lot of potential there. If if they don't and, if they uh, don't get a if they don't do a Spotify version, like oh my god. Yeah. Without the licensing fees, somebody would make a lot of money or somebody would just lose a lot of money. But uh that that about wraps it up. I brought up that last question because I think the next direction of this podcast, we're going to be start looking for in these studios and small studios that are making making new products, making things that stretch and need the gaming market. So if you know of any uh, small small run developers coming out with new games, send us an email. We'd definitely be interested in uh, playtesting what you got and giving our thoughts about it. That's it. Hope you all had fun. All right, yeah. guys, good talk. See y'all next month. Um, play play well. Play games. Uh, download the podcast. Put podcast into Beat Hazard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'll be great. A little late for this oh. one, but next one for certain. Yeah, and we'll see y'all next time. All right. Bye bye. Bye. So I haven't. Uh, uh, I found some fan speculation with regards to uh, to, to Rooks as a as a character, and um, I wanted to get y'all's uh, y'all's take on it. So one of the fan theories is that Rooks is the kid only older. What? Like a mm. time loop? Like he got caught time, in a time loop? What's your What's your thoughts? Bill. Maybe. I I I have trouble seeing it only because I I heard that before I started playing the game and I I don't know it just doesn't it it doesn't it doesn't feel like it 
it, it doesn't fit perfectly like a glove to me. So. But but maybe it's good that it that it doesn't fit perfectly, and that's that's kind of what what gets the uh, uh, kind of the fan the speculation juices going. So um, so obviously like like Rux's hair and and Kid's hair is, is very similar. Uh, they dress very similar. They both have the red bandana either around uh, around their necks, and that could be because they're uh, from the same like Caledonian group of people. Uh, they mm -hmm. both carry a hammer. So there's there's a lot of there's a lot there to suggest that maybe maybe Rux is kid in the in the future or maybe yeah maybe or he's Rux uh, in uh, that that saved uh, uh, that saved Bastion and, and went back in time and is and he see and, and maybe it's kind of like a like a Back to the Future too where he sees his past self and he's trying to guide his past self along. I I could yeah. see that. I uh I don't know. I I I prefer to think of him more as like maybe a parent who is never there for kid maybe. I don't know. I I I just I I feel like I have to make I had to make stretches of that during the game. You know, in, in order for it to work for me. Like I I I didn't spend enough time thinking about like how everything was going. So I struggle with that one. So like what what would the difference between him being like a family member like his dad or something versus being just an older version of himself? Like Yeah. Now that's another theory is is this guy, is this old dude uh kid's dad. Right. I, I, I would subscribe to that one more just because that that's that works better on a because there's clearly some time like there's a time uh there there's a time loop in here somewhere probably which i guess if there's a time loop then it makes a lot more sense if ruck is rucks is the is the kid is the kid himself but like i don't know yeah. i just finished watching dark and dark has a stupid timeline like thing that i won't spoil but like it kind of hurt my brain and I'm just not going to think about another one. You're just going to refuse all time loop theories. Yeah. Well, I'm just, I, unless it's explicitly stated, I'm just going to assume that there's not going to be uh, a, a weird time thing going on. I'm just going to be like, there's no way that they're going to put in, you know, time travel. Nope. It's, it's just for the bastion and the bastion just does it simply. I'm going to take the simplest one for me because I just don't want to think about it for, six hours and then lose a day. So he's just kind of like a narrator <laughs> that just progresses the story along. Yeah. I mean, that's how he's, he's portrayed. I mean, I, I, who knows that I don't think the game people have actually said anything about it. We didn't even talk about how brilliant of a job the narrator did. <laughs> yeah. He did an excellent job. This game I think like maybe the number one things that makes this game so special is that narrator when um, it, whenever you think of bastion the first thing that clicks in your mind isn't the art style it isn't the, the story it's how awesome that narrator was it's a certain the star of the show it's a special way of telling a story too yeah. like usually you stop the gameplay to talk about something and and the fact that he reacts to uh to the things that you do uh as you progress through the game mm -hmm. that, that was really good that was great. Especially when he taunted you when you were falling over. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
he he did a great job. That was he was definitely the star of the show. Um, yeah, I'm surprised we didn't talk about that. I know. We need well, more of that. I, I want more storytelling, kind of in that form. I thought he did. I thought that was that really made the game uh, stand out. No doubt. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only in 2011, but it, it still kind of holds up and stands out today as a uh, uh, kind of a masterclass of storytelling uh, in an indie game. He's also in uh, Transistor. Same character or the same narrator? Uh, I think he's the narrator. Yeah, because in, in Transistor, it's the uh, it's the sword that talks to you. But yeah. it's, it's, it's a similar kind of style where as you're progressing through the game, the sword is like recalling memories and things that uh, he's talking to the to the main character about. Yep. But yeah, uh, Supergiant, they, they need to con- continue that. 